couple of verses today. Philippians 3.17 through 4.1. And here's what God's word says. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Please be seated. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your attentiveness to us, your loving attentiveness toward us as we attend to your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is here to help us, to impress uh, your word upon us, to encourage, to convict uh, everything that, that you have for us in these few moments while we interact with your sacred text. Help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. This whole idea of citizenship, being a citizen of heaven and what that means. What's going on in the text? Uh, we're excited. I, I can't wait to ask more questions. Uh, uh, Claudia, I'm going to be very curious about the whole process. Uh, last week, I went, when, when they heard about uh, Claudia's citizenship, August 8th, is that right? August, that's what we're praying for. So if it's August, August 7th, uh, we're in trouble. I'm just kidding you. But August 8th, uh, Claudia has the appointment. Last week I said, just hit me with one of those questions. Hit me with a question. Sock it to me. Lay it on me. Um, they have to know questions that some of us may have even forgotten ourselves to become a, a citizen of this country. <coughs> As Claudia moves from, from Germany uh, to here. And we are so excited about that. Uh, I've told you before about when I was in Ukraine looking at the orphanages with that tour with Bethany Services. And it just made such an impression on me for this young Italian couple to be there. This was in the south of Ukraine. This is, this is now uh, Russian territory, if you're kind of following how it's going on the map. And, and I wonder how it's all going for the orphanage itself and whatever kids might have been there and the lady that was there and, and all of that. But this little boy and the Italian couple that had signed the adoption papers, they were going to come back and get him. And uh, they were walking with him. And boy, they loved that little one. Uh, that was their son. They had to leave him for a while. He had to be there. But he was, a, he was an Italian. And he's over eating pasta, waving the, the flag for, for Italy in the World Cup, no doubt, and all of that. And they were teaching him to say ciao, ciao. And then they were having that little guy wave and, and say, say ciao to all of us. Um, you think about what it means to go from one country to another country and to have your citizenship transferred. Uh, there's something to that that's something big uh, that matters 
Um, <coughs> you know, not sure what's being taught to little kids now that get adopted, but there was a time in our country someone would be adopted from another place and they would take their family vacations to Mount Rushmore, they would take their things, they'd stop at Monticello, they'd have uh, history classes in their schools that would give them some basic facts about it and, and they just kind of absorbed and they followed along with a, a way of life and a, a culture that was there, the dominant culture of their country. And we see that as part and parcel of being in a new country and settling and living like the citizens there lived. Uh, this is a strong element in Paul's teaching because it's just part of his life. He's in a different place. His citizenship has been moved from one nation to another nation. What happens in a Christian's life after they've been saved? We're not talking about justification right now. We're not talking about the adoption papers. I used to say, you know, in, you know my parents had to go through hoops. They had to do, I didn't know what was going on uh, in our house, but people are in there observing us and all that, and parents have to fill things out and pay things and sign things and do all this stuff and, and get ready. Um, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about what God did behind the scenes, about uh, the predestination, election, justification, uh, where that adoption paper was signed, I say, in blood, <laughs> Jesus' blood. That sealed your adoption. That was the price and that was the cost. But what happens when you join the family? What happens when your citizenship is moved? What does this Christian country look like that we live in? Not the nation. I'm not talking about any defined, but Christianity, which transcends global nations. What does it mean to be a Christian? If your membership is there, then how do you live? And Paul is talking about that and contrasting that throughout Philippians. And here he is again talking about it. And we are looking this morning ourselves. What happens? What does a Christian do after he or she has become a Christian and is now a citizen in heaven? After your name is written on the rolls. Uh, love this idea. Get back to this idea of your name being written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, that's biblical. It talks about that. Uh, we used to sing as, as, as uh, kids, in, not kids, but as congregation in churches, is my name written there on that page, white and fair? In the book of thy kingdom, is my name written there? Well, if your name is written there, you're a citizen of heaven. Uh, God's not going to lose any records. Uh, it's there. It's established who you are. You are a citizen of heaven. You are belonging to that heavenly kingdom. Now, time to live on earth as a Christian. Paul says in verse 17, Brothers, so 
talking about Christians. You could trans some of the translations because Adolfoy is a uh, is a generic. It's brothers, sisters, and yet these days we're all. Uh, trying to be all precise on that, but when you see brothers, generally he's talking about brothers and sisters. He's not talking about only men who are Christians. He's talking about brothers and sisters, Christians. Um, join me, or join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have on us, in us. How does a citizen of heaven live? Well, there's some examples of people who've been Christians a while. There are examples of people who God called and saved and, and, and inspired as they wrote the word of God. There is a Christian culture that's pretty clear if we, wanna, if, if, if we, if we care to admit it. And he's saying, imitate me. Not imitate every little thing he did is, as you would say, well, I'm going to find out how Billy Graham did his devotions. If Billy Graham read three chapters a day and five on Sunday, then I'm going to do it that way because I'm supposed to imitate. No, he's not talking about these little nitty-gritty things that we do. He's saying in your attitude how you make your decisions. Imitate me as one who used to be trying to work his way to heaven, who now realizes that Jesus did the work. Imitate me as one who had been religious uh, with no real fruit, but only a works mentality, but who's now living as a citizen of heaven. Imitate me, Paul says, in the way that I preach nothing but Christ and him crucified, as we center on Jesus as our salvation. Imitate him in, in saying, I can shed this earthly stuff. This is all going to burn and go in flames. Picture the last day. Picture, picture the last day. God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And what's going to happen to everybody's stuff then? <laughs> Here comes this big celestial. It's got to be a big one, a big old blue dumpster. <laughs> and there it goes. And what we have left is not even the clothes on our backs. And we stand in front of God, and that's it. And one, one question, are you born again? Paul says, imitate me in a perspective on things, uh, laying aside weights and cumbrances uh, that so easily beset us and drag us down. Uh, Paul says, imitate me. Imitate me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Imitate me as I listen to God's voice and I obey his call and I recruit others and invite them to citizenship in heaven on God's behalf as I point them to the cross and say, repent and believe. As I don't discriminate against anybody, uh, Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, free. Paul says, Imitate me in the way I'm doing God's work and helping people to see that Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation. As we learn the history, the language, and the customs, 
of what it means to be a citizen. We have these examples. He says there are enemies of our heavenly country. As he's talking about imitating him and the context of being a citizen of, citizen of heaven, verses 18 and 19, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He's saying, uh, there's a country called heaven, and there's only one other country, and you can call it earth or hell or Satan's uh, city or whatever you want to call it, but there's two countries uh, in this divine eternal scheme of things. Uh, there's no point. Why would you with two countries, with one bitterly sworn enemy of the other one, you wouldn't say, hey, I've got an idea. Let's set up a United Nations and let's have some detente. Let's talk a little bit and let's work some things out. There is no working things out between these two spiritual countries. You can negotiate some things and people can, you know, we've got all sorts of philosophies of how to do this on an earthly level in this realm here. But spiritually speaking, there's no compromise between God's kingdom and the devil's kingdom. There, there's no point of, 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 of contact. And he's saying there are enemies of the cross. Enemies of the cross mean enemies of God's kingdom. And if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, it means enemy of you. That old phrase, love me, love my dog. <laughs> if you love me, you're going to love my dog. You come over and say, I like you, but I'm going to kick your dog when you're, I think you're not looking. Then get out of my house. That's my dog. <laughs> you love me, you love my dog. You love me. Uh, you don't like my dog, you don't like me, <laughs> then we're, we're both leaving. Uh, Jesus said, they don't love me. They're not going to love you. Don't kid yourself. You can let your light shine before people in such a way they glorify your, they see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. God can use you to do that. But if you think that, that they are enemies of God, but somehow you're going to be so lovely and winsome, and they're gonna, they can love you and not love the God you worship, when they get to know you and know what you believe, they're just going to call you a weirdo who believes strange things because ultimately it's going to come out that you think that if they don't submit to Jesus, they're on their way to hell, which you believe if you're a Christian. And you can do it the way Paul did it, and you should do it the way Paul did it with tears. So I'm doing it with tears. You can do it with tears, but that's not going to change the status the enmity between these two countries. The attack on Jesus came from, it was a two-sided attack. One came from the religious moral leadership of the day. They were religious. They even had scriptures in their hands, even using holy scriptures, God's inspired word, as an indictment of God himself. So don't be fooled just by religion or, or waving a Bible around or any kind of morality. Our morality these days um, at least isn't hiding behind Bibles anymore, it doesn't seem like. 
but there's still a self-righteousness, and this is the way we do this, and this is what's right, and, and you're immoral if you believe this about this or that. Um, but there is a, a morality that is religious in nature, even if it's not springing anymore from the Christian religion, that is an animosity with the cross. Therefore, animosity with you, if you're a believer. The other attack on Jesus came from a secular government who didn't want anybody rocking the boat. And they killed a lot of people like Jesus in their day. Boy, people start to get uh, uh, following somebody. They start to use a religious thing. And this Roman government, this, this uh, worldwide, at that time, this system, said, can't have any dissent. Nobody gets out of line. Get out of line, the man come and take you away, as, as somebody put it. Uh, don't get out of line. And so they were only happy to look, work with moral, self-righteous people who were also threatened to, to kill Jesus and become an enemy. And those of us who have everything we've ever lived for, all of our eggs are in one basket. Our hope, everything is in the cross. These people are enemies of the cross. And Paul says, that's worth weeping about. It makes sense that those who consider themselves moral today would be anti-Christian, even if they refer to themselves as Christians. It makes sense that a secular government would be hostile to Christianity. Uh, we consider ourselves citizens of heaven first. And there's a divided loyalty. And that's a threat. He describes the enemies of this cross, the enemies of the citizens of heaven. He says, one, their God is their belly. No matter what they say, they are still simply, when you boil it down, they're still looking out for number one, still looking out for themselves. This is the opposite of Jesus. Jesus put aside everything and looked out for others and, and did not look out for himself. He endured the equivalent of an eternity in hell for his people, the opposite of people whose God is their belly and they're looking out for themselves. He says they, they glory in their shame. And you see how people brag about things that are the opposite of what God tells us in Scripture are shameful. It used to be Certain things uh, were at least culturally, you kind of kept it quiet and on the, on, uh, on, the, on the secret side. And now you can log in and you can see people bragging about what they've done and how they do these things. Their glory are the things in the things that the Bible says are shameful, that God says this is a shameful thing. Shout about it. Shout it. Tell everybody. This is the right thing because it was the right thing for me. They glory in their shame. What is the example of the one we are told to follow? If I boast in anything, I'll boast in Christ alone. Last description he gives of these enemies of the citizens of heaven. He said their minds are set on earthly things. Shackles are there. 
Somebody said, what's the scariest verse in the whole Bible? If we asked you that and you had time to think about assignment next week, uh, just for curiosity's sake, what do you consider to be the scariest verse in the whole Bible? And we would have different answers based based on our personalities and based on our reading and our understanding of that. Uh, Somebody thought it was uh, when Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And that's pretty scary to think about people with their religion. So I could say that I put in the runner-up category. For me, it was always this one and how to deal with this one. But it is in the Bible. I'm going to quote you a, a, a Bible verse, and you tell me if it's scary or not. It is for me. I hope it's not for you. I hope it's just reassuring. But where Jesus said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And boy, I want to forget that verse is there, but I, I can't afford to. Um, there is a way of living for a Christian. And once you're a Christian, once you've been justified, then there is something that we get to do joyously in a way we get to live. We don't have to live like this anymore. Um, But how he said this, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The existence of enemies of the cross is not an occasion to get angry and to resort to worldly, hateful tactics. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual. Uh, Weep. If watching the news just makes you mad at people, then quit watching the news. You're not supposed to get mad at people and hate people. If you can watch it and say, God, help this person. Boy, he's as lost as I was. Help him. We don't want him eternity in hell regretting. We want him to be worshiping with us. Weep for the people. Have that capacity. Ask God to give you a compassion. Every year when Voice of the Martyrs sends out their prayer for the persecuted church, they always include something about Pray for those who are persecuting us for our faith. Pray that we would uh, reflect Christ so much in our, in our returning the love toward them instead of the hatred that they come to know the Lord. And maybe, maybe I'm suffering so that God can use that to point them to him. And so we don't have to get all tense and angry and fighting. We don't have to respond to everything. Get off the, 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 the websites if, 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 if it just makes you that way and wants to, to fight. We love, we want the best for everybody. So do it with tears. Weep over this. Weep over the fact that God's glory is being mocked. Weep over the fact that God's people are being threatened. And just weep. Weep about the Destruction for those who carry on all that way through life and can't answer the question right, are you born again? Weep. And then that was a side note, that, that was a, a, couple of para- a couple of sentences in this whole paragraph, this whole section on straining toward the goal and being citizens of heaven. So what do we rejoice about? Rejoice that your citizenship is in heaven. 
Rejoice that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And no one can sneak in and erase that name that God has placed there. You've immigrated to another country, to a better place. You're leaving the earthly, fallen, sinful, sad, exhausted, worn out, tired, hopeless world to a better place. And your citizenship is there if you're a Christian. From death unto life you've passed. And even though you are still on this side of heaven, you're not there yet. You haven't crossed the, the, the river yet to, to go into heaven. You have all the rights and privileges of a citizen of heaven. And Paul names some of them in these last couple of verses that we're covering this morning. Verses 20 and 21. He said, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What's a benefit of citizenship? Hope. Optimism. We have hope. Real hope. Hope that from heaven we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. He is coming back. He's coming for you. Came once for you. Coming again now to receive you to himself. The darkest, blackest days here on earth will not last forever for God's people. Eventually, the hope of heaven comes into our line of vision, and we see that. Some guy wrote in a song, he said, I distinguish a voice that I hear in the wind like a radio station not quite tuned in. Once a whisper, but now as loud as a scream. It says, give me your weakness, give me your pain, your empty cup, and I'll fill it again. Why on earth are you digging your own grave? And you can hear that, and you can do that. Uh, in the old days, before we had a satellite radio that could just listen to the game. <laughs> in the old days, those were the fun days. I'm thinking of Mark timing his trips back from Indiana to college around when he could tune in the Cincinnati Bengals <laughs> and listening. And I, I've done that, you know, leaving Florida. I would try to time it so I could get to Bush Stadium uh, and stop for the game and then get to Iowa afterwards. Boy, I was tired by the end of that time. But you you're driving down and you're saying, I want to hear this. And you tune in something in. Uh, listen for God's voice. And listen and see. There is hope. There is hope. Glory, you can see this. Um, Malcolm Muggeridge's book, Chronicles of Wasted Time, and he talked about he was going to go prove that uh, uh, the Russian system was the best system, and he, got, he basically came back to the Lord there. But he said, even just seeing on the water tower in this town the way there was a dent in it, and the Christians there would notice 
And at a certain time every day, they would all look to that water tower because there the sun would hit it in such a way it would reflect the cross. And even though crosses were banned and outlawed in that country, they couldn't take down the water tower and people would see that glimmer of hope. Uh, he talked about being out in the woods, and I, I hope I get this right. It's been a while since I've read that book. He talked about looking in a, a shed, and they, 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 it was a shed that used to be a church, and they pulled down all the crosses and thrown them in there, but they hadn't burned those crosses yet. And just himself looking in and seeing that cross there and saying, God is sending me reminders all the time of my, the citizenship that I'm, that I'm getting ready to join, and God using that. We have that in this world no matter what happens. There's God, and God will make himself known. You want to learn, or you want to, not learn, we all need to learn a whole lot of stuff. Um, but here's, here's maybe a way for you to pray for people that don't know the Lord yet, but, but have some background in it. It's, it's a good prayer to pray. And God just interrupt her life. Remind her of what she heard when she was a kid. And God, you're powerful enough to do that. Give that hope. Give that glimmer from that country that is stronger than this country. And you can pray and see what God does in your life and in the lives of others. He said there's hope. There is hope for the Christian whose citizenship is in heaven because we can confidently await for our Savior. And what will he do? What will he do? These lowly bodies of ours will be transformed. These lowly bodies of ours will be transformed. So out in Irwin, Iowa, the little high school that I quote-unquote graduated from, <laughs> been going to a Christian school for three years, but then my dad got transferred. I had to go out there. Was there one semester in that high school's by is where my mom went to school. So all these kids were people my mom had known uh, their parents. Uh, town was so small. Four streets in the town all named after the daughters of, of the guy, Mr. Irwin, who founded the town. It was a small little Iowa town. And uh, there was a, a um, high school graduation, what do they call those things, reunion. It's going to be the 40-year reunion, then COVID hit. So they had it just this last. And, you know, I was curious to go. You know, I didn't grow up with those kids. I was picked on by some of them, and some of them were nice to me. But I always wondered what they were like. And they sent this picture of, of them. <laughs> and I said, who are all these old people? <laughs> I don't recognize a one. I wrote back to the, the woman, Sandy. I said, can you do me a favor? I said, thank you, first of all, for planning it. Secondly, I'm sorry I couldn't come from, from uh, uh, all the way from Connecticut out to Iowa for this thing. But it would really be helpful to me if you could send me the names and she sent me the names, and I should have known these people. But who are all, all these old-timers? And then I went and looked in the mirror, <laughs> and I said, that's what they would be saying about me. Why is he crashing our reunion? <laughs> who is this guy? Um, these bodies are made to go downhill. How are you doing, Dad? Dad's laughing, and he says, well, I'm just sitting in my chair making all these plans that I know my body can't do, but I still make the plans, but I can't do them anymore. And he chuckles and laughs about, about that and his condition right now. But you say, there will be a time Jesus is coming back. And what will he do? He will transform our lowly body 
to be like his glorious body. He's going to take care of our bodies. That's a benefit. Bodily transformation. Someone asked me this week, uh, describe heaven. I said, ooh, describe heaven. Well, <laughs> so the best I can give you is it's the exact opposite of hell. So you can learn about heaven from hell and hell from heaven from what scripture says. And in heaven, uh, there's no need of the sun because Jesus lights up everything. Hell is described as outer darkness. Uh, heaven is a place where um, you, you uh, uh, are described as a marriage supper of the Lamb, a big feast, a big get-together. Hell, uh, it's, it appears to be they're not all there commiserating with each other. There's just a loneliness there, uh, uh, maybe aware of each other, maybe, but it's the exact opposite. But you know, the one thing I started thinking about after that question for this sermon is there is something about our bodies, and, and I couldn't find in Scripture. Some of you guys probably know it right off the bat, and you can correct me right after, or, or enlighten me right afterwards. Uh, but in heaven, it talks about our bodies. Uh, and it talks about even the souls and then the bodies of those who are dead in Christ will reunite. Uh, hell, the only picture I can get of a body in hell, but it's there. And I don't think it was a parable that Jesus told. I think he was telling fact. That's my belief about the man who said, tip of water on my tongue. And there was a bodily something going on, if it was just a spirit down there, uh, uh, why would that spirit want the body? So, uh, want, want, the, want the, the drop of water for his tongue. So, you think about bodies, and bodies being transformed, bodies being fit for heaven. We had a guy one time, it was a men's group, back before we started meeting here, it was way back, I can't remember if it was when we were at Arby's or even before that at McDonald's. But one of our guys that was there at the time said, well, what will the bodies be like in heaven? How old will people be like in heaven? Because, you know, people go at different stages, uh, are taken into heaven. And his theory, because he heard this in a sermon, he said it'll be 30 years old. We'll all recognize each other as 30-year-olds because Jesus was um, a 30-year-old when he began his ministry, and that's when things are... And he had a whole theory built around that. Well, it's, it's theory. The Bible doesn't speak to that. It's interesting insofar as it does make us think about heaven, and it draws us to a conclusion that whatever God does with our bodies, it'll be perfect. I, I think about Jesus' body. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he wasn't resurrected as a spirit, was he? He ate. And... Did he just eat to prove that it was a real bodily resurrection? Or might he have still even been hungry here on this earth? I don't know, but he, he did eat. His body was a real body. It wasn't recognized at first because uh, uh, Mary wasn't thinking about that at the grave, so it took, caught her off guard, but she didn't recognize him. But when he said her voice, she recognized that body. It, it, it spoke. We, we see places where Jesus is with these folks and explaining scriptures, then he disappears, kind of, or transports or teleports. We don't know, but, but whatever Jesus, okay, the other thing, it had scars, real scars, real nail prints, real sort of, and that's the whole, the whole story of Thomas, and that body really ascended into heaven. We don't know 
what our lowly bodies uh, exactly will be in heaven, but Paul says, be glad of this. He's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And there's something about our bodies that is there, recognizable and good. And you have hope in that, O oh, citizen of heaven. How could he go prepare a place for you if there's not a body to go in the place? Just think about that and, and, and think about it not to just win an argument sometime or, or, or not just for vain speculation, but think about it and come up against the wall that you don't know exactly, but you know it's good and it's real and it's great and that there's something that's going to happen with this body. It's positive. Your body will be transformed. Citizens of heaven. He wraps it up. How do we wrap it up ourselves here as we think about being a citizen of heaven? Well, first one we haven't covered yet, but it's in our text this morning. Uh, here's an application. Uh, just a reminder from everywhere in Scripture and right here. Jesus has the power to subject all things unto himself. The last half of verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject just about everything to himself. Most things to himself. No, all things to himself. Jesus has that power. That's one lesson from the text. Boy, you're bucking against Jesus. You're bucking against the cross. You're bucking against Jesus' kingdom. Um, uh, go to war with God and see who wins. I want to surrender. I want to be on God's side. All things to himself. He is omnipotent God. And even if it was just a matter of pure self-interest to look out for yourself, you better become a Christian. That's your salvation. That's your hope. We know there's more. We know that as we walk more with God, it becomes more about God's honor and God's glory. And it becomes about the Lord even as we press into this Christian life. But even if it's just a purely, you want to save your hide, become a Christian. Well, that'd be the wise choice. Second thing, observation from the text that we haven't noted or made an observation yet about. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Paul referring to the Christians there as his brothers who he loved. Another part of imitating Paul who's following Christ is to love your brothers and sisters who are Christians. It's to say, I'm part of a family and this is my family and I love them. They got the same last name as me. And they may be younger in the faith. There may be things they don't uh, know yet. They may be hanging out more with, with some of the other siblings, but I see them, they're, they're my family. They're still my family. They're all my family. And a love for Christians. Love your fellow believers. And then finally, verse 1 again, after he says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown, Stand 
firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He's telling them they can stand firm. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows where this world is leading? Maybe, maybe it's just the time of global prosperity for everybody but you. <laughs> maybe you're the failure in a global Or maybe it's a time of, of, of poverty and, and, and destitution, but not for you. Who knows? We don't know. Talk to these economic people. You kind of see and you have models. You see what's working. Are we in a recession? Is a recession coming? Are we, you know, um, well, if you're an economist, I would, I'd like to talk to you because you have a lot you can explain to me. I obviously have a lot to learn in that area. Here's what I know. I know no matter what happens, armed with your knowledge, with your assurance that you're a citizen of heaven, that Jesus died for you, you've repented of your sins and you've placed your faith in Jesus, and you are on your way to heaven, I know that I can say with a straight face like Paul, stand firm. It's possible, it's desirable, it's good, because you are not a citizen of this world anymore, you are a citizen of heaven. And he says, just stand firm. Hold your ground. Take your shots, hold your ground. Stand firm. So we don't know. I don't want to predict gloom and doom and just be the gloom and doom guy. I, I, I wouldn't want to come back. I wouldn't want to come back to a church every week where it's all just gloom and doom. What do we point out? Well, it's tough out there. We know that. It's anti. Stand firm. Do it with a smile. You're a Christian. Stand firm. We'll help each other stand firm. When I'm thinking of bolting this thing, help me out. Remind me of who I am in Christ. Don't, don't couples do that all the time with each other and help each other out if they're both Christians? You know, you take your turns and, and, and you bolster each other up. Our, don't families do that all the time? So he's saying stand firm. Summary. Since I've said it three times already, I won't belabor the point, but you need to hear this. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. And you get to live like a citizen of heaven. You get the privileges of the citizen of heaven that that person gets. And you can live a life that is wonderful in spite of everything going on because of what Jesus did for you and what God did in giving you Christ. You want to be a Christian. You want to glory in, in your Christianity. And you want to walk like a Christian. And you can stand firm in that. Your citizenship is in heaven. Let's pray and close. Lord, thank you for these words from Paul. Help us, Lord, to weep for those who don't know this yet. Help us to be concerned for a lost people. Lord, help us to be thankful, be reminded of the cross. Thank you for the reminder in this passage of our destination, even as things in our uh, bodies, uh, for, for some of us, begin to break down. And it's true that it's no fun getting old, as Grandma said, but it's, it's also uh, ultimate fun because it means we're moving toward heaven. 
So help us in our life because of Jesus' death. In his name we pray. Amen.